On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no. She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner. Doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks. Run happy. Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy Peter Bow. Peter, what's going on, man? Hey, how are you? I'm good. I imagine I've, I'm a bit more well rested than you are, um, although not nearly as well rested as, as I would like to be. But that's okay because uh, we're recording this the morning after uh, the Stanley Cup was awarded and the Colorado Avalanche won it. Um, and so I, I figured, you know. I typically like, like to give myself a bit more time to kind of digest this stuff and maybe even rewatch it and think about it a bit more, but it's still, you know, it's hot. It's fresh on the mind. I think people want to listen and it's, it's fitting that we do this now to kind of put a bow on, on the Stanley cup playoffs before we move on to off season content and whatnot. So, um, where, where, where do you want to start this conversation? Cause obviously we're going to kind of focus from the ass perspective as the victors here and you cover the team. Um, you know, now that you had whatever, how many hours have passed since since uh, all of last night's festivities? What's kind of most fresh on your mind, or what's the thing you kind of keep thinking about the most um, in kind of the afterlife of it all? Yeah, well, one is obviously the emotions you see on the ice after you see Nathan McKinnon crying while he's hugging his dad. You see Darren Helm crying while he's holding his daughter. You see. Um, all the members of remaining members of the 2016, 17 team standing together for a picture um, going from the worst team in the league to this. Um, and in, from a hockey perspective, I think just that third period, we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, but it was, it was maybe the best period of hockey I've seen the avalanche play all year. And it, given the stakes, given everything that was on the line and even though they didn't score, it was just a clinical I mean, they allowed nothing that entire period. And I was, I was so impressed with that. I thought that was a really, really gutsy effort that third period. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. I was thinking about that as well, because after the game, I was watching the, uh, the Sportsnet feed and Elliot Friedman and David Amber were interviewing Darcy Kemper, like right after the game when everyone's celebrating and whatnot, and they kind of pulled him aside and they essentially asked him what he was thinking. Um, you know, when they went down one, nothing early on in game six, just knowing how well Vasilevsky was playing at the other end and how, you know, it likely meant from his perspective, like he didn't really have any wiggle room anymore to make any mistakes. Cause if you go down two nothing or three, nothing, like you're probably not scoring enough goals to come back against the lightning in that scenario. Right. And, you know, aside from being like such a classic hockey guy move on his part to just deflect attention from himself and kind of be programmed to make everything about the team. Um, he like, his answer was pretty much entirely about like how, the guys in front of him made life so much easier for him um, by just like limiting what he actually had to do. And especially in that third period, you or I may as well have been out there because aside from that one 
shot. Uh, I believe Kucherov got on kind of like yeah, a one timer with. It was a great scoring chance. It was like the kind yeah. of classic, like you know, going north, uh, east, west. Made a move uh, one time or quickly from Kucherov where he snaps it, and and that was a real scoring chance. But aside from that, like you or I may have as well have been in, in net for the first what 11, 12 minutes of that period because the only shot the Lightning got on net was a, a dump in by Ryan McDonough from center ice essentially. And so um, he's right in that regard where like it really was about as clinical a defensive effort as you're going to see, especially given the stakes. And for me that was the takeaway because for all the offensive firepower, this, this Colorado avalanche team has just that attention to detail. And when they're buzzing like that, how they're able to almost like suffocate you in a way defensively where it felt like the lightning weren't able to complete two passes back to back, right? Like they weren't able to exit their zone. It felt like they were jumping every passing lane. They were on all those breakouts. They weren't giving them any traction. And then I just love to see that because so many times in that instance, and I think the abs themselves have, fallen into this in the past it's kind of human nature to to shell up a bit and be like all right we're just gonna not mess up here so we're gonna sit back we're gonna try to absorb their best punch we're gonna block as many shots as we can and we're gonna hope that our defensive shell is strong enough to you know hold on to this one goal lead and instead they kind of went the opposite way and attacked instead and just didn't ever let tampa even throw that punch and that was just so impressive to me yeah, and that's the way they needed to play. I mean, because like you said, they, they've referenced a few times uh, game five against St. Louis. Um, I don't know if you remember that off the top of your head, but that was the game that they had, a, I think, a 3 nothing lead yep. and blew it. Um, and they referenced learning from that and just how they got away from their game because they, they didn't want to mess up, all those things that you said. And last night was an example of them sticking to their game, having long offensive zone shifts where they were just keeping it in the offensive zone. So it was, it wasn't that they were, I mean, they were playing well in the defensive zone, but the big thing was that they just weren't really letting it get into the defensive zone for that long. And I thought Bowen Byram after the game, I talked to him and he, he said, we went out there and we probably played one of the most perfect clinching third periods in the history of hockey. Um, so he was a little excited and, um, and rightfully so that's maybe a bit of a hyperbole, but also like, I mean, it was a darn good third period against the two-time defending cup champions. So maybe he's got a point there that it was one of the best ever. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny enough. Cause I thought that game two, they played earlier in the series was about as comprehensive a performance as I've seen on that stage as well, obviously in a, in a much, um, you know, the stakes are high because it's still a game in the Stanley cup finals, but it's game two. It's early in the series. They're at home. There's not as much pressure. You go up a few goals and all of a sudden it's a lot easier to kind of keep your you know foot on the pedal and, and, and finish that off as opposed to this, where you're on the road, you've already blown game five at home. You, you know, you still like your chances in a game seven going back in front of your home crowd, but you don't really want to let it get to that point either. And so it's an entirely different sort of psychological exercise, I guess. And so for them to pull it off in that fashion was impressive to me. And, and you know, for me, like, I really ha honestly have no rooting interest. I just cheer for fun hockey and good stories. Um, but this is a sport where often you can kind of wonder whether it's a feature or a bug that the playoffs can be so random sometimes. And like how much of it is a meritocracy because it feels like being the better team doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. And in this case, for me, it's just so immensely satisfying that it really does feel like the best team in the league this season wound up being the last one standing. And as a fan, that's kind of all you can ask for. And the second best team probably was the second right. last 
yes. team standing, you know? And I'll also add with the game two versus game six, the, the biggest difference to me was that I thought in game two, the lightning just didn't have it that day. Like they played poorly. I don't think, I think last night was about what the abs did more than what Tampa didn't do. If that makes sense. Like I thought that Tampa was playing okay and they were playing desperate hockey and they were trying to get anything going and throwing stuff at the wall and the abs just weren't letting them have it. Yeah. I think against a lesser opponent, the lightning, I mean, it would have had more opportunities, obviously. It did feel like, you know, maybe it is unfair maybe to the Avs because they obviously kind of created their own luck in that regard. It did feel like the Lightning just kind of ran out of gas. And, and yeah. I, I mean, I felt like that way in round one against Toronto at times when I was watching them. Like, And they kind of made a habit of sort of playing possum in that regard where they looked like they were kind of just down and out. And then all of a sudden, they like do the Undertaker gif of just popping back up. And and. You know, to their credit, like I after game two, I did a podcast with, with Shana Goldman. And and I think listening back to it, the general tenor was like it felt like that might as well have been the 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 show that we ran after the Stanley Cup final was over. Like it felt like it was it was done. Like after that game two, it just felt like I didn't see a roadmap for the lightning, acknowledging that they had bounced back in previous rounds in similar fashion. Watching that game two, I was like, I don't understand how they can skate with this avalanche team. And to their credit, the the end of that series was, was very tight. I believe in the final three games, every single second of game time was played within a one goal um, scoreline either way. Like wow. no, one, no one had a two goal lead at any point. In You're the right. Games. And, you know, two games went to overtime or whatever. Yeah. Four one goal games. Like it was, it was about as tight as you can play it. And so as a spectator, that's really fun because yeah, you want this stage to be played in that type of fashion. And the lightning really gave the avalanche, everything they had. And so, um, you know, credit to them, but the avalanche were, it did feel like throughout that series, the superior team. Yeah. And I thought for me, it was what it came down to was, was the goaltending because the avalanche, if the avalanche could get enough from Darcy Kemper, like you said, they had the better skaters, but Andre Vasilevsky is such a trump card in so many ways. Um, if they could get enough from Darcy Kemper, they were going to be okay especially after they had that two goal lead and Darcy Kemper's credit. He's taken a lot of heat at points because he has let in some bad goals, but I thought last night he was excellent. The, the first goal he allowed was not a good goal, um, but he shut it down after that. And he was, he was very, very good. And I thought the same thing for game four, the overtime win with the, the Kadri goal in overtime. I thought he was excellent in that game. So I think Kemper deserves a ton of credit. And, um, even, even if he wasn't, good these playoffs necessarily like some of his advanced metrics have, were, were not great I think he he clearly had a, a very good last two wins for the abs and they needed that yes um okay is a totally off topic question I don't know if you wrote this story this season what on earth was going on with Darcy Kemper's equipment all season I have no clue he had to switch uh brands of skate blades at one point because he had I think it was in November they were like three times in two games that his skate blade just yeah. fell out of his skate. And like uh, that led to like, they had to switch goalies one game. They just were like, <laughs> it just kept happening. And they were like, all right, Darcy, you're getting the night off. We're going to Pablo Francois this game. Um, he had that. He obviously had a, a stick got caught yep. through his mask. Like I, I don't really have an answer to you as to what was going on. I know he had to switch skate blades at one point. He also at one point like stepped on his skate lace and had to get a lace repaired. And the like, he had some weird stuff that happened this season, but 
hey, he had an amazing regular season, and he was was off to a good start in the postseason before the the uh, stick got in his in yeah. his mask and struggled. Um, but he he had good games when he needed to at the end of the cup. Yeah, it's the classic example. Is like, all right, my one wish is to play behind a really awesome team yeah. at the Colorado Avalanche. It's like, all right, especially can, we, after we can, being in Arizona. Yeah, we can grant you that wish. Unfortunately, you didn't say anything about all your equipment malfunctioning and every other thing going possibly wrong. Yeah. But uh, it all a worked stick out. Getting caught in your mask and yeah, yeah. And funny enough, in the uh, in the biggest moment of the season, it was actually Vasilevsky's equipment that that let him down a little bit with his uh, with his helmet coming undone. So, um, all right. Well, let's let's kind of get into the specific like skater performances then here that I wanted to highlight a little bit. And, and you mentioned Bowen Byram earlier. Now this is going to sound sacrilegious off the top initially, considering the names involved in this series, you've got Victor Hedman, you've got Kale McCart, you've got Devon Taves. I mean, it's, it's a Ryan McDonough, Eric Chernak, you know, it's a star studded group of defensemen. I thought for my money, Bowen Byram was the best defenseman of all of them in these six games from start to finish. He didn't have necessarily the, the high highs of the wow plays that Makar made every once in a while. But for the most part, just in terms of the consistency, it really felt like just watching him play, it was about as thorough a performance as you're going to see. And considering the season he had, the, the ups and downs that he faced, for him to end the season on that note was just such a remarkable story to watch. And... Listen, like he credit to Jared Bednar as well. I mean, I guess Bowen Byron made it easy to him, easy for him because he was playing so well. But when you look back, like I tweeted this, Bowen Byron played more five on five minutes in this series than any defenseman. And on now, Kill McCarr, you know, kills more penalties, plays obviously in the top unit power play. So they kind of balanced that out in that in that perspective. But he was leaned on and they were playing him with Taves, with McCarr, you know, with with Eric Johnson. They were playing with all different combinations depending on the situation. And with him out there, the Avalanche outshot the Lightning 79 to 44 at five on five in the series. And he saved his best performance for last with what I thought was like a true star making performance in the clincher where he was arguably the best player on the ice from start to finish. And so, yeah, I guess we got to talk about it a bit about Boyd Myram. I've talked about him a lot in this podcast throughout this postseason. I thought his emergence, especially after the Sam Gerrard injury, was a game changer and they really needed it. And he stepped up and did everything you could possibly ask for. Yeah, that guy is a he's a big game player. I would still I would I would say McCarr still for me was was the best defenseman in that. Well, series. he had the most he had the most to do. Right. And the most pressure on him. Certainly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he played a, a lot of minutes. But I, I do think that this was, I mean, just a, an absolute unbelievable showing for Bow environment. I, I thought last night, in the third period, I was like, this is a big game player. Like you look at him and it was funny. His preseason, he was pretty meh. He, he didn't really do much. He, he was at rookie camp. He was fine in the rookie tournament. Didn't, did, didn't wow you. First game of the season, the lights are bright and he is on from the jump. Scores one of the first ass goals of the season and, and looks electric from the beginning and probably would have been in the Calder Trophy mix if he hadn't gotten hurt. Took him a while to work back. Samuel Gerard goes down in the Blues series and immediately Byron was playing well before that, but he raised his game. And then in the cup, like, like you said, just an excellent, excellent showing and, and credit to Jared Bednar for, I mean, cause he played him a lot. Like he stuck with him 
a lot. And I, I thought that that speaks a lot to Bednar's trust and willingness to trust a young player who's, I mean, that's the youngest guy on the team who's 21 years old. Um, and, and it speaks a lot to Byron's ability to step up because I, I saw those numbers that you put out there. It, it was remarkable. He had a, I didn't really, it's funny because last night I kind of felt was all about like, for me, capturing the emotions. So I haven't even like, like dived into like all the, um, like hockey specific stuff. So to see those numbers when I did, I was like, it, they didn't shock me because you could tell how well he was playing, but I was like, dang, like he really like, he was a, I mean, it was a star level performance. Well, let me give you some more numbers on that. So he played, please, 20, please. he played 24 52 at five on five, which was like two and a half minutes more than anyone on the team. Six shot attempts, uh, including one where he rang it off the iron and very easily could have scored set up five, five on five shots for his teammates. Uh, and that doesn't include, the beautiful assist on the one-timer for McKinnon's goal that they got the abs on the board. And yeah, it was just, it was pretty much everything you could ask for from him. I, I imagine the moment he's eligible for his extension coming off his ELC, uh, that's going to be very high on the to-do list for the avalanche because, you know, uh, knock on wood, uh, health permitting, like it feels like it's only a matter of time before his offensive numbers do actually match up with the way he's been playing, right? Like he didn't, he didn't score this postseason. He has zero goals. Uh, yeah. And it felt like he was within he like was so close. a centimeter to like five or six potentially. Right. And if you replay it a hundred times, it feels like a bunch of those scenarios do come true and he scores a ton of goals. And, and it feels like heading into next season, like my expectations for him offensively are going to be through the roof. And so I still feel like you could probably just because of the way the salary caps, like the contract structures work and stuff and how RFAs have so little leverage, like the light avalanche will be able to like leverage this into a reasonable cap figure where assuming he's healthy and playing at this capacity, it's going to be like, he's going to provide great value for them moving forward. And so that's why I think like they're going to be all over this and, and rightfully so, because he showed throughout this entire postseason, but especially in the Stanley cup final that like it used to be Makar and Taves and now it's Makar, Taves and Byram, I think. Yeah. And that's not even to mention Gerard, who's, who's right. a darn good player himself. Like it's, they've got a wealth of, of defensemen that are, are going to be a problem for, for opponents. And, and we'll see what they, cause they are going to have some decisions to do with their defensemen with like Manson's a free agent. Eric Johnson only has one year left on his deal. Jack Johnson, I know is, is kind of a guy that maybe isn't a fan or uh, an analytics darling, no, he's but he's a vibes guy. He's a vibes guy. And I'll tell you what, like my bar for Jack Johnson, and this is going to sound mean, and I really don't mean it in a mean way, but my bar for Jack Johnson is, did I notice him in a game? And if the answer is no, that means he played just fine. You know, like he, he didn't mess up. And the entire Stanley Cup, he put together games where I know his like expected goals weren't great. And I'm sure there are like reasons for that. And he's obviously not to the level of some of his teammates, but he, I thought he was pretty sturdy. So credit to him for, for coming through like that. Well, once again, like we're going to keep going back to this. Let's give Jared Bednar a bit of credit here because totally. in some of these games where he felt like he couldn't afford to have Jack Johnson out there, he wasn't forcing it just for the sake of rolling three defense pairs. No. Like he was creatively mixing matching. Like I said, he'd get Byram out there with Taves. Then he'd get Byram out there with McCarr and then McCarr and Taves. Like he'd mix and match like his top four or five guys. And there were a certain, like there was one game where I like looked and it was like the third period and Jack Johnson had played five minutes or something for the game. And it wasn't because he had missed any time going to the room or was injured. It was just because Jerry Bednar was like, I 
I'm going to go down with my best guys here and I'm going to play, especially on the road where I don't have last change and I can't control the environment that I'm going to have them out there for. I'm going to just, I, I, I can't risk it. And that's a sign of a great coach that understands his team and his personnel and the, the gravity of the situation and isn't just like robotically going through the motions and just rolling his like all lines and all partners as if, as if it's the preseason. Right. And so it, Jerry Bender is not going to get a ton of credit in the grand scheme of things here because the avalanche have so many star players and they have so many, um, you know, different areas we can focus on of like, Oh, this guy did this, this guy did that. And the coach often gets lost, lost in the shuffle, similar to what John Cooper has gone through over yeah. the past couple of years. But I thought he did a really great job in this series. I mean, like how many different, top line combinations that they throw at the lightning in this series. It felt like yeah. McKinnon, McKinnon played with pretty much every single forward they have on the team. Yeah. I was going to bring that up too of his, it was always Lannistag McKinnon ranting before this postseason. Like that was there. And they still, they would roll that line when they really needed a goal or when they really wanted to, to get some offense going. But this postseason and late in the regular season, and actually Gabriel Lannistag's injury allowed him to do this a little bit. Um, but late in the season, the Avs, uh, what they did was they tried to tinker with their top six just because they knew they were going to – last year in Vegas, they felt like when they had to shuffle things, they just kind of panicked almost. Not panicked, but, like, it took a while to get going. You know, when when things – I mean, you remember, they, they lost two games in a row and then they couldn't really regain their footing. Yep. So this year they, they tried out all these different things and – they had Nichushkin with the top line. He was excellent. They had Lackanen with the top line, and he scores the game-winning goal last night. You you had it, it was a it was an impressive job of pushing the right buttons. And I I thought that Landis guy deserves a lot of credit for that, and Nichushkin because those are the two guys who it felt like you could put them in any spot and it would work because yeah. they're just such like they're great puck retrievers. They're great defensively, all that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd add Lekkinen as well. Like, what, in, the, in the last game, he was up there on the top line with McKinnon, and 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 he was – I mean, he scored the, the the winning goal, but he he was making a lot of remarkable stuff happen with his passing as well. I, I think, you know, I, I've given this a lot of thought in terms of, like, Joe Sackick gets a ton of praise, and deservedly so, for, you know, winning all of the trades he, he, he makes and, and the job he's done putting this team together. I think credit certainly goes to – the fact that the avalanche I think are one of the preeminent organizations in terms of their embracing and usage of analytics and how they functionally, um, you know, leverage that into identifying certain players. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm sure my pal, Eric Parnas, once he's done celebrating, is going to be listening to this and, and, and I'm, I'm super happy for him and he deserves all the success in the world. And he's been on this podcast a ton in it's, uh, in its early years, but you know, you've got that, but I do think Bednar also deserves some credit because you see all these players that come in, and pretty much find immediate success on this team. And it's easy, you know, to say, okay, well, they have a ton of great players already. So there's an environment and infrastructure in place where, yeah, if you're a true elected and you go from playing with like random players on the Canadians to all of a sudden playing with Nathan McKinnon or whatever, like you're going to look pretty good, but Bednar really does, I think a good job of enabling and empowering a lot of these players. Like, man, it'd be a really fun chat to have with Josh Manson, for example, to just compare like, how he felt playing in this environment to the past couple of years in, in Anaheim, because I've never seen that guy like pinch as much as he did in these games and have these like scenarios where he's like leading a two on one or three on two yeah. rush or whatever. Like he wasn't, I think he did it a couple of times in game six here. He, and it's, he was on the, uh, he was on the 
rush with it was a three on two with him, Lackanen, and McKinnon. Yep. Who would have thought in at the beginning of the season that in the Stanley Cup the Avalanche would have a, a three on two rush led by Manson and Lackanen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's and pretty funny. And a coaching goes into a lot of that because yeah, there's certain coaches that would be like, listen, like you're our physical stay at home defenseman. I don't want you doing that. Like, like there was and a play pro scouting also. Yes, no, certainly. But there was a play earlier in the game. You, you, you mentioned that one on, on the goal, obviously. I think earlier in the game, he had one where he was on like kind of like a delayed three on two rush or whatever. And he did like a give and go and actually crashed the net. And then he wound up yes. like falling into the backboards and it took yeah. him out of the play a little bit. But a lot of coaches would have been like, oh my God, like, like this guy's so out of position and would have been freaking out. And like, he, Josh Mads is a veteran player. So I think he gets a little bit of a longer leash regardless. But Benar basically allows all of these players to basically just play in this free flowing environment where you might be our number four defensive defenseman, but you can basically play like Nathan McKinnon if the opportunity presents itself. And that must be pretty yeah. cool for any player to come into. And especially a guy, I mean, and that's like, obviously Kel McCarr would have been great wherever he went, right? Like yeah. wherever he was drafted, he had all the tools and all that, but you do have to think of like how much has he benefited from being in a place that has encouraged him to, to do what, what he is able to. Same with Bowen Byron. And Devon Taves is a perfect example. He went from being a very good defenseman with great underlying numbers in New York um, to being a, maybe not a star, but a guy who's finished top 10 in Norris or top 11 in Norris boat like the past two years. Yeah, maybe not a star, a superstar. <laughs> exactly. On this, pod- well, on this I, podcast, Dave Devon Taves is a superstar. I was actually having a debate with someone on if, if Devon Taves is a star. And I think what the resolution we came to, because I was initially like, yeah, he's one of the best defensemen in the league. And uh, the resolution we came to was maybe in stature, he's not a star. Like Nazem Kadri is probably more famous than him, for example. Yes. Um, But Devon Taves is an elite level player and a star level player, even if maybe he doesn't carry that uh, aura. Yeah, he's like a, he's like one of those like really nice high end bottles of wine that a true connoisseur would would really appreciate. But maybe if you're just like a novice wine drinker, you'd be like, all right, whatever. Like, ah, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I can't I can't differentiate between these two. Like in in the sense that, yeah, you're right. I think like a casual fan at home that especially isn't an Avalanche fan, I'm sure they've heard of Devontae's, especially now after they won the cup, but probably wouldn't be able to pick him out of a line. I mean, hasn't heard a sound bite with him. Like, what does Devontae's voice even sound like? But yeah. But man, is he a damn good hockey player. So Real right there with you on that. Um, okay, well, Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme, Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work, Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. One final guy I wanted to talk about was Val Nachushkin, because I mentioned yeah. how I thought Bowen Byram was the best defenseman in the series. I, th- I thought Val Nachushkin was the best skater in this entire series. And... Yeah. I mean, yes, like certainly lower uh, list of responsibilities than, than some of his other uh, bigger name teammates. And, um, you know, I thought in the, it's funny enough, in, in game six, you know, there was that report of like, oh, is he going to play or not? He was kind of hobbling on his way into the rink. Um, I thought there were times where he kind of looked like he was a bit slow in terms of what I've become accustomed to seeing, like with his puck pursuit. But then as that game went along, especially in that third period, he once again showed his value where he was such an instrumental part of that four check where he single-handedly caused like three or four either direct turnovers or harassed the defenseman into making a poor play with the puck where they basically just had to shoot it into the neutral zone. And it was from start to finish, just a remarkably dominant physical performance from him where he didn't have the wild plays that, that the McKinnon or McCarr had, but man, that, that puck hounding mentality is what made this avalanche team so special and no one, no one embodied that more than Balanchushkin, I thought. Yeah. I mean, that is Jared Bednar's type of player right there. He loves a guy like Balanchushkin who can forecheck and work hard and, and do all the things that he does so well. And that's why they were so excited to get Arturi Lekkanen. They told – Sackick said that what they told him when – what the front office told him when they got Lekkanen is, we got you a mini Val. And, and I think that's an apt comparison. And, yeah, Balanchushkin was unreal these playoffs – he, it felt like he was making himself like a hundred thousand dollars on his next contract with every shift. Um, he was, he was phenomenal and deserves a ton of credit. Well, listen, there's no question that he's played himself into an entirely different tax bracket this postseason. Like, I think we all agree on that. The more interesting question for me is whether he's played himself into being viewed internally as a core member of this avalanche team and whether the avalanche organization views him as such, because if they do, uh, especially in the short term, like they'll be able to move stuff around and make the money work to keep them, regardless of how much interest he gets on the open market and like what insane amount of money some other team is willing to throw at him. And from his perspective, I'm sure he'll have to take a bit less to stay on this avalanche team, but considering the success he had and the fit is just so ideal between player and team that I doubt he'd have it better anywhere else. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but what do you, what do you think about that question of 
whether he like he earned himself more money and earned himself more interest around the league, but might have also in a way earned himself more interest internally because I'm sure they avalanche valued him a ton as a player before this, but just seeing the value he was able to provide to them, it has to at least make you think about like whether we need to kind of do everything possible in our power to try and keep this guy. Yeah, well, I think his age makes him someone that you can potentially view as one of your core pieces. Because you have, like, for example, a guy like Nazem Kadri is 32, I think. So you're going to be a little more hesitant to give him high AAV over a long-term deal. Whereas Nachushkin, I think, is 27. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 2013 was his draft year. Um, so you're you're maybe going to be a little more willing to give him a, a good amount of money on a longer term deal because he's on the right side of 30 if they think his game can continue to translate well I mean I think he's a vital vital piece of this avalanche team I thought he was incredible all season and I think that he was incredible in a way that is sustainable which I think is what the avalanche probably would need to look at is how much can he sustain this production and how much are we willing to pay for that production if he can't sustain it so it's going to be fascinating but I think the fact that he is a guy who can play on your top line with, with McKinnon and Landis guy, play with skilled guys. He can also forecheck like hell. He can play on your penalty kill and he can be a power play contributor. I mean, he's an excellent player. He had an excellent season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to see, I guess the reason why I thought it was so interesting is because this avalanche organization has been so diligent about the types of financial commitments they're willing to make because they acknowledge like, we have a lot of upcoming expenditures with Makar's deal and then with McKinnon's and they already extended Landis Cog, and Like there's going to be a lot to account for here, right? And that's why in the past they've probably missed out on, you know, they notoriously offered Artemi Panarin only a three-year deal or whatever because they're like, listen, like we, we don't want to commit 11 plus million dollars five years from now because we are probably going to need that money elsewhere. And so with Nachushkin, like one, two, three years potentially, make sense but then when you go further down the line especially at whatever cap figure that is it becomes a bit dicier so i'm really curious i mean there's going to be a lot of obviously questions for this team it's still going to be a great team they're going to lose a couple of these players but the core is going to be in place and so there's a lot to build around and as we've seen they've been so good at identifying players they can plug and play to fit around those guys that i think there's no reason to believe they can't be this good again next year so i'm uh i'm excited about it peter um i think that's about it was there anything else from from this cup final that you figured we needed to, uh, to touch on here as we put a bow on it. I think that should be good. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. And if you need to get some sleep, man, you're, uh, <laughs> you've, you've been I've, putting in work here. Yeah. I have, uh, other than a few hours on the airplane this morning, I've not slept since, uh, before the game. So <laughs> I'm probably going to go straight to bed after this. Oh, I love it. Hopefully, um, you get some rest and enjoy a bit of downtime. Hopefully the listeners uh, enjoy this conversation and, and satisfies them a little bit as they, um, as we put a ball on the season. So Peter, this is a blast. We're definitely going to have you back on sometime down the road. I'm glad we finally able to get you on the show and uh, we will, we'll chat soon. So uh, until then, take care, man. Sounds good. Thank you. Cheers, pal. All right. That is going to be it for today's episode of the hockey PDO cast. And that's going to be it for the 2022 NHL postseason. So hopefully you enjoy the games. Uh, you enjoyed the past six seven weeks or whatever uh of 
content and, and coverage on this feed. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here, and um, you know, in a couple of days, we're gonna start moving on to to off season content. We're gonna definitely do a mock draft uh, as always with with our pals uh, Cam Robinson and Chris Peters. I believe this is gonna be the uh, the third year in a row we're doing so. So that's always a blast. We're gonna do some. Uh, some free agency preview content or, or maybe some like trades we'd like to see just to kind of get you thinking about, you know, who's going to be available and what certain teams could do and, uh, and go from there. So there's, I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of fun stuff to talk about, but before we get there, I did want to, to do this kind of one final show to put a bow on the, the cup final, the, uh, the avalanche victory, kind of what we saw just cause we hadn't done a show since, since game two. So hopefully, uh, that satisfied that, and uh, and now we can move on and uh, start thinking about the uh, the upcoming chaos that's going to ensue. So, um, if you did enjoy the show and you've been um, you've been liking the content here, you can certainly, as always, help us out by leaving a quick rating and review for the show wherever you typically listen to it. So, uh, definitely smash that five star button if you're feeling generous and you've got a bit of free time. Uh, reviews themselves are, are also greatly appreciated if you want to kind of go above and beyond um, a bunch of you have done so already and it's always cool to see people just write out quick notes about either what you enjoy about the show or you know giving people a heads up if they come across it kind of why they should check it out or why you've been enjoying it so uh, thanks for doing that if you have already if you haven't uh, please consider doing so now that we're going to have more free time here uh, with no hockey to watch so the, the shows are going to keep coming on this feed, though. So looking forward to that. Uh, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for checking uh, the show out and for listening to, to all the stuff we did uh, during the 2022 season. It was a blast. It was, uh, it was the, best, the best one we've had here on the PDOcast so far, and I'm looking forward to, to what's ahead. So thanks, as always. Uh, enjoy, your, enjoy your summer. Enjoy your offseason. We're going to be back here in a couple days with some more content. Until then. <laughs>